Welcome to PSQH the Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Dr. Payal Patel, an infectious disease physician at Intermountain Health, about new guidance on preventing catheter-associated urinary tract infections. This episode is sponsored by Gojo as part of International Infection Prevention Week. Gojo, the inventor of Perel hand sanitizer, is committed to improving patient outcomes by enhancing the well-being of patients and healthcare workers. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Dr. Pyle Patel, an infectious disease physician at Intermountain Health and lead author of the new guidance on preventing catheter-associated urinary tract infections. Welcome, Dr. Patel. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, before we kind of jump into it, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm an ID doc, um, and I'm really interested in antimicrobial stewardship. I currently work at Intermountain Health in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, and I have had an interest in infection and prevention and healthcare-associated infections since I was an ID fellow. Excellent. Well, let's talk about this uh, this guidance that uh, recently came out. How did uh, how did the report come together? Yeah, so um, the compendium is is really cool. It's like a group of documents that started in 2009. Um, and it's usually updated around every five years. And we look at the most common healthcare-associated infections. So that includes CLABSI, CAUTI, um, MRSA infections. There's also a document on hand hygiene. And what it is is basically looking at all the latest literature and um, summarizing it into a document intended for acute care hospitals and trying to make sure that you're following best practices in trying to prevent these sorts of infections. And the reason it's updated every five years is really to make sure that the latest research is kind of incorporated into the into the document. Uh, yeah, and, and so I guess jumping into it, what were the uh, the main recommendations that you came up with? Yeah, so, you know, like, I would say, luckily, there's been a lot of work in catheter-associated UTI in recent years, and I would say one thing that we noticed is um, people have really been focusing on diagnostic stewardship, so, you know, or urine culture stewardship, so thinking about, like, I'll I'll give you an example um, from a hospital that I've worked at. I remember, like, being in the ER um, and seeing a patient, like, yeah, I was moonlighting, and seeing a patient for eye pain, uh, the patient had come in for eye pain, and the nurse ordered, you know, some urine cultures, some blood cultures, and, and like a slew of labs under my name, trying to help me out, right, just in case I needed those things. And I, as I was looking through, I was like, oh, <laughs> like, why would I need a urine culture, you know, in this patient? And that was, that's the moment where I think a lot of people are stuck, you know, they're feel bad, you know, throwing away like a urine culture after the patient is already like given the sample. Um, But what happens from that point forward is this person does not have any symptoms of a UTI, but it moves forward. And three days later, that urine comes back with bacteria. Maybe the patient has been admitted. And the new person looking at this culture is like, hmm, I'm not sure. Maybe this person has a UTI. And that leads to inappropriate treatment. So um, if you think about how many times that happens in a hospital, it's a lot. So one thing that a lot of people have been focusing on is trying to improve when we get urine cultures. And we have a lot of references in the document if your program is thinking about incorporating diagnostic stewardship to kind of improve urine culture collection. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, interesting just because, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think that that's happening, but I mean, I guess any kind of unnecessary uh, treatment is, you know, can contribute to problems. Yeah, definitely. And and then I guess one of the other things I'll highlight is um, we often, you know, with catheters, we're often, especially as infectious disease doctors, thinking about um, infection, of course, catheter-associated UTI. But um, another thing that people have really been looking into is kind of all the other non-infectious complications that can happen when you have a catheter in. That includes falls and trauma. Um, one of the studies that we cited in the compendium followed really prospectively um, followed about 2,000 patients in the VA that had gotten a catheter. And almost half of those people had either an infectious or non-infectious complication. So if you're able to avoid using a urinary catheter at all, you may be able to avoid a couple of complications down the line. And is that just a matter of paying closer attention or or looking for different, you know, uh, symptoms? Like why why is it uh, why is it I guess been such a problem in the in the past? Yeah, that's a good question. I think like I think sometimes um, we we don't know that there are other alternatives to an indwelling urinary catheter. Um, one of the things that we saw as we looked at the literature is like, for example, in women, there have been these new like devices in the last few years that are actually external catheters. So that's kind of cool. And we're hoping for more like research in this area to understand if that may be like a safer and uh, better alternative to having an indwelling catheter. So I think, um, like asking yourself, and we we have like a little image in our document that kind of talks about this, you know, is there an alternative before you place the Foley catheter at all? And that's, uh, that model is disrupting the life cycle of the urinary catheter, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so basically it's just sort of providing, providing guidance on proper use, but also, like you said, looking at alternatives to indwelling yes. catheters. Yes, and I think like one one of the ways that that um, figure can be helpful is I think you know most hospitals at this point have an infection prevention team. They are always thinking about healthcare associated infections, but sometimes if you want to like deeper dive and and let's say you have an elevated rate of CAUTI catheter associated UTI, you could take a look and see where your interventions fall. Are they you know are they focusing on the maintenance of the catheter? Are they focusing on getting catheters out once they're in? Or, you know, could you maybe look at trying to avoid placement at all? So that that figure is helpful in thinking about that the ways that your interventions work. Uh, and what are some uh, non-catheter strategies that you recommend? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, I think sometimes overall, there, the patient may not even need a urinary catheter. <clears throat> and so like that is like often working with your floor nurses, ICU nurses, and trying to understand like what, you know, what are the patients that we absolutely need catheters in? There's been some cool documents that have come out that have really um, 
taken all of the players, that, that means like urology, nurses, infectious disease physicians, patients, and come up with like appropriateness guides as to when a catheter is needed. So those documents can be really helpful if you're trying to make criteria for your own hospital. Uh, and did the problem get any worse during the last couple of years during the pandemic where, you know, definitely people have, you know, were avoiding hospitals or hospitals were obviously super busy with, you know, an influx of patients, uh, you know, with COVID. But, um, you know, did you see any kind of increase in the last couple of years just because of, you know, those those factors? That is a great question. And that is, you know, the, the pandemic, I think, really centers the importance of the compendium overall. We saw nationally, um, you know, hospitals were under stress. We had so many patients in the ICU. ICUs were overflowing, which means that a lot of patients had vascular catheters, urinary catheters. Um, you know, there were there was so much going on with PPE. And so because of all those factors, in general, we did see an increase in healthcare associated infections kind of throughout the world and, and mm -hmm. in the in the US as well. It was most obvious with CLABSIs, which are like central line associated bloodstream infections. Mm. Um, but I think we we would say that there was a trend up in almost all of the healthcare associated infections. So that's why I think this document, this group of documents is really important to look at now. Um, and, you know, obviously we've been talking about alternatives to using uh, indwelling catheters, but for the folks who who need them, what are some sort of uh, recommendations in terms of management of indwelling catheters? Yeah, definitely. That, and that is such an important part. And I think sometimes uh, that group can be forgotten when we're talking about trying to avoid because there are definitely patients where, you know, the urinary catheter is needed. Um, I think one thing is definitely maintenance. And um, we have we have definitely have some, you know, um, comments and recommendations within our document. Um, for how to best maintain these catheters. On top of that, you know, a couple of things have come up in the research agenda. You know, when we when you look at the CADI compendium, we have some topics that are unresolved. And if it's unresolved, it means that there has been some work in this area, but we're looking for more work to try to come up with a recommendation. Um, and that includes like, you know, trying to figure out what to do if you are going to have a catheter in place for more than 30 days. What is the best time to like, you know, have an exchange? And that is continues to be an area that we're looking at. So um, I would say for people who are doing research in this area, this is a really important patient population to look at. Um, and, you know, and you said basically it's like every every five years or so they kind of re, uh, revisit. Uh, the guidelines and kind of see what's, you know, sort of what new things you can kind of update it with. Um, do, are you expecting some of those areas that you weren't able to resolve this time around to maybe be, um, you know, fleshed out further in the next one? Yeah, you got to hope, you know, but what's interesting is like, um, even with with CAUTI as well as CLABSI and some of the other ones, if you go through and look at the older versions, um, often the unresolved issues remain unresolved. Uh, so yeah. I would say, There's I would think it as that, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I would like to think that, you know, if I was uh, early in my career ID fellow, 
that's a really good part of the compendium to look at, to try to understand like, what are the questions that remain? Um, and, you know, would definitely be a worthwhile research agenda. How has the treatment uh, or prevention of CAUTIs sort of evolved over, you know, the last 20 years or so, or like, you know, since you've been, been working, have you seen it really advance a lot, uh, you know, since those early days? I definitely think so. I think one one way to think about it is like, you know, I think of like many years ago, both cat vascular catheters as well as urinary catheters, it was thought like, you know, it's just a part of like being sick, you know, you're uh, an infection associated with that. Like, you know, it's just the toll of having these catheters in. Um, but as we've started to like drill down into like, when does someone truly need, you know, these catheters, for example, you know, we now have so many options like pick lines and other, other kinds of lines um, and midlines, right. Just thinking about vascular catheters. So those alternatives continue to rise up and the same is for urinary catheters. So I think like there's a lot of people, stakeholders that are thinking about this. And as we realize, like, you know, it's not just a price to pay and there might be a way to really reduce these infections. Um, that's been that's been really helpful. Another thing that's been really great, I think, is like empowering nurses. Like there's been this mm -hmm. push in several like, you know, recent years to empower like nurse driven urinary catheter removal protocols. And, and nurses noticed that, you know, like they would realize that a patient didn't need a urinary catheter on day five. Um, but the, the team was so busy, like they would keep paging and no one would, you know, place that order. So they've been empowered to remove those catheters in many centers. And I think that's been really helpful too. It does seem like, um, you know, a big factor that's it's playing a bigger role now both, you know, with this and with other infections is stewardship. I mean, you talked about it earlier, um, just sort of, you know, being able to know when things aren't necessary as opposed to just kind of, you know, let's do, you know, let's throw everything at it and see what happens. Uh, now it seems to be a lot more judicious about, you know, when, you know, when the right time is to use uh, catheters or antibiotics or whatever you might be talking about. Definitely. I, I see that evolution um, just in the in the world of CAUTI over the last few years, um, because if you think about it, you know, every time you sample someone's urine, there's a good chance there's going to be bacteria in there. And that mm -hmm. chance goes up like, you know, times 10 to 100 if you have a urinary catheter in. So if you can reduce the times that you're getting a urine culture without a good reason, you're going to find that you're saving yourself and the patient a lot from the antibiotic standpoint and so forth. Does that, you know, you mentioned that, you know, there's bacteria in there. Can that lead to just misdiagnosis where, you, you know, you think something's happening when it really isn't just because there might be additional bacteria getting in from the catheter? hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think that is, that is part of what we're going with, with the idea of like, you know, diagnosis, misdiagnosis, diagnostic stewardship. If you know that that's, that, you know, I, in my mind, when I think about a urine culture, I'm not surprised if it's positive. I always think mm. it's going to be positive. So I go back to, was this urine culture necessary? And that's what I try to teach my teams when I'm rounding. And that's what I hope we move towards, not like being surprised that there's a bacteria in the urine, but trying to figure out if that person truly had a UTI. Yeah, is that, is that just mean that urine samples are kind of a less reliable uh, method to determine if there's an infection? 
Yeah, you know, Jay, like there's been some studies that show, you know, this is a large number, but 50 to 100 percent, just imagine the word 100 percent of people in a nursing home are going to have a bacteria in their urine. So, you know, that's not a very sensitive way to figure out if they have an infection by itself. Yeah, interesting. Um, Well, Kyle, thank you so much. this, this, the uh, guidance is called Strategies to Prevent Catheter-Associated Urinary Tract Infections in Acute Care Hospitals 2022 Update. Um, was published in the uh, journal Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology, so you can find it there. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. Yeah, thank you for having me. And um, I, It's openly available, freely available. We hope that all, all of the acute care hospital teams will be taking a look. Thanks again, Jay. Thank you. That wraps up episode 90 of PSQH the podcast. Thanks to Gojo for sponsoring the episode. You can find more information about the show and listen on demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks again and stay safe.